Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you have any questions for our guests, there are many ways you can contact the show. You can post a question on our wall on Facebook, Skype us, send us a tweet on Twitter to at The Organic View, or you can contact me directly at June Stoyer. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Austria's Finest Naturally, authentic pumpkin seeds and pumpkin seed oil from the Steiermark, available at organicuniverse.com. Listeners of The Organic View can receive $1 off their purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. Today's topic, essential do-it-yourself Christmas time bath bombs, mists, fizzies, massage oils, and butters with our favorite kitchen chemist, Mrs. Kayla Fiorvanti. For all of you that are out there, you know it's that time of the year again when people are scrambling not only to find the perfect gift, but are also trying to outdo last year's festivities. This year, it's especially hard to buy anything, especially with the economy being as weak as it is. However, there are so many gifts you can create in your own kitchen. If you can boil water, you can definitely make handcrafted gifts that are sure to please all of your friends and family. The best thing about it is that you can control what ingredients you use to keep it simple and keep it green. So at this point, I would like to welcome back Kayla Fioravanti. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Now, uh, Kayla, the big question is, do you, are you a fantastic cook and a baker on top of all the wonderful recipes that you create? I I always I have always loved the kitchen, so yes, I, I do um do a lot of baking and a lot of cooking and I do share my recipes on my blog too. Even though I'm a cosmetic company I like to share the food 'cause because I think they're very related. Um and the the ability to throw things together and make something work both in the kitchen and for the bathtub is very related. So um, that is a big part part of my world. I have had um, children with food allergies, and so I had to get really creative. Uh, my my son is 18, and his food allergies were way before the world was filled with gluten-free everything and sugar-free this and that. So so I had to get creative in the kitchen and figure out how to um, feed him with what was on the market, and that gave me you know a great starting point to figure out unusual food recipes and this unusual um, baking, baked recipes. So a lot of my, my um, recipes on my blog, the food recipes, are ones that are made with agave because um, my son was allergic to sugar. And, so and can you just talk about what, it, what agave is for people that have never even heard of it? Because uh, agave is indigenous to the southwestern part of the United States, but I'm sure there are people like, what? What did she say? Well, it actually comes from the same plant they make tequila with, um, and it's, there it's you a go. sweetener. <laughs> yeah, it's a sweetener that that just makes um, it. It doesn't mess with you know people who have sugar allergies and stuff have have um, difficulty processing refined sugar, and when you use agave in place of it, it doesn't cause any of those issues. 
and it bakes almost exactly the same as sugar, so you don't have the same issues of when you bake with honey and everything turns out all flat. This, you know, you can put it in at the same ratio and your recipe ends up working, um, which is which is huge when you're trying to look at um, a variety of different recipes that are are full of the traditional cooking methods and to be able to make a transfer easily without having to add tapioca or something else to hold the recipe together. And it's also water-soluble, which is also very important. Yeah, um, yeah agave, um, it, uh, my friends and uh, some of the audience that have reached out to me and asked me about different types of sweeteners, so on and so forth, um, agave still has a long way to go as far as being um, commonly used. But uh, it's just interesting that you incorporate agave into your bath and beauty recipes, and I just think that that's that's so clever, you know. Um, yeah, you, you can do a variety of different things with it, and you can make cold drinks with it, which is an unusual thing for a natural sweetener. Yes, because of the, being water soluble. Oh, of course. And uh, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you is, um, in when when you go out, like say if you're out shopping with either your family or, or your friends, are you as ridiculous as the rest of us are when we, <laughs> the foodies, go out and we taste something and we immediately just critique it to death? Are you the same way when you pick up a bar of yeah. soap or or you uh, smell a fragrance or something? Do you immediately um, analyze it and say, hmm? This is what they did. This is what they should have done. So on and so forth. It, it my my children hate going to the market with us because <laughs> we'll, my husband and I stand around le- reading all the labels of everything and smelling everything and looking at it and and uh, so <laughs> it's definitely um, one of our pastimes is is going and looking at things and going into stores where they're like everything here is a hundred percent natural and you're like. Really, because I I never saw a paraben tree um, because there's some you know mismarketing mis- sort of thing going on. Um, so so that's one of our, our our definite pastimes is looking at things. I am um, still allergic to fragrances, and so um, the things if a store is filled with fragrance um, oils and that sort of thing, I I can't go into that store. But um, there's a couple couple stores like that where you can smell them a block away and. And I'm I'm uh, I have to just look at it on the on the web and uh, and look at their ingredients from there and their pretty pictures. <laughs> I can imagine it's it's uh, I'm not interestingly enough I'm not as sensitive when it comes to fragrances. I have a certain level of tolerance, even though um, if I'm not, if I have some type of allergy flare up or something, I can't go near it. I, I'll just choke to death. But uh, right. I have that type of reaction when I'm in a major, you know, any type of supermarket or department store where they have an entire aisle dedicated to detergents. I can smell it, mm-hmm. and it just, I, I can't go near it. My eyes water. It's just, it's just awful. Um, Kayla, right. I just want to avoid that whole aisle. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, Kayla, I just want to ask you a question that pertains to soap. Um, now, you've been an expert at making soap and not just making it, but teaching other people how to make it as well as consulting, uh, you know, your clients on how to make soap. And there has been a lot of buzz in regards to the use of lye. 
So could you right. please explain how um, why lye is used in the, the soap the, the soap making process, and you know is it point blank harmful to you or not? It, in a finished product, lye is not at all harmful for you. Um, to you, basically, there's some misinformation. And can I name the name of the no, of the um, person? Who, okay, so. Recently, Dr. Oz did a show where he was explaining how hair straighteners are terrible for you, and his way of explaining it was that in hair straighteners is um, lye. And basically, he then took lye and put it into water onto a piece of paper and watched it eat right through it. And, of course, there's no unreacted lye in any finished product because lye is by itself, um, you know, a dangerous ingredient to handle um, because it's caustic and it basically eats through whatever it con comes in contact with. And so in soap making, lye is used, um, you, you mix lye with water and you heat up your oils and then you take the two ingredients, to, you know, the, the um, lye solution and you take the oils and you mix them together and a chemical reaction takes place and the oils are saponified. And basically, now um, that reaction can take um, a week or two, depending on what kind of soap you're making, um, but there's an immediate reaction that takes place and turns this separate oil and the separate water uh, and lye into one um, combined, basically, gel that... Um, you basically wait for it to finish its processing and then you set it into trays or you put it into pots and you have it sit for another two weeks where it finishes doing its saponification. And in the end, you end up with this fabulous soapy, sudsy thing that is where all the lye has been used up and there's no danger in it at all. But basically, people are taking misinformation of taking a raw ingredient that was never meant to be touched on human skin and saying that this is what's happening to your scalp. That's basically what he said was, see how this um, lie is eating through this piece of paper, that's your scalp. And that's so not true. Um, that is what's happening between the, the, the oil and the lie in the water. They're becoming having a chemical reaction and turning into something new. Um, and so it's a silly thing to say that, um, you know, that lye in a product is um, of any danger at all. It's a completely fully reacted ingredient that um, it does fabulous things. It turns oil into soap. So that's, and, that's the and many people lye. that Exactly. And many people that have been making soap by hand, I know that my great aunt used to make her own brown soap, and she used to use lye. And uh, you know, this is before <laughs> this is before color TV. <laughs> I mean, you're going back. You're you're going back to the old country in Europe, and uh, she used to make everything by hand. I mean, she was. Uh, quite uh, a creative person, uh, but then again, you know, back in those days, they didn't have big department stores, they didn't have, I don't even think they had stores, uh, they basically had the local market that took place, what, once a week, and that was about it, uh, so, um, you know, this has been something that's been used for years, and it, it just oh, yeah. really, 
it just really amazes me that uh, just because it's on TV, you have a mad rush of people that all all of a sudden um, are convinced that something is, you know, solid without having done the research. So that's something that I really wanted to address, and thank you for answering the question, Kayla. Uh, So, you know, folks, when you have a question, just because you see it on TV, it's kind of like I remember when I was a kid and they had these products that they would sell right around the Christmas season where uh, it was supposed to do this, do that, you know, um, all sorts of cool things. And then um, you would actually see the product, and you would see in big, bold letters, uh, as seen on TV. And then you realize what a piece of junk it was. And the thing is, is that the moral of the story, folks, is that when you see stuff on TV, ask an expert. I mean, I I have the the, um, good fortune to have... Um, Kayla Fiervanti as an expert that I can rely upon who can give me a straight answer about things that I don't have uh, solid knowledge about and it's important that if you do have questions, ask someone who is uh, an expert in that field before you make an assumption because I mean there have been literally floods of people that are just um, you know looking for all sorts of products that that don't contain this, don't contain that, because they heard it on TV. So um, I just want to point that out. And, uh, you know, Kayla, thank you so much for answering that once again. Now, um, in regards, actually, uh, before we get into your uh, all your recipes and everything, uh, we do have a caller on the line. So uh, good morning. Do you have a question for Kayla? Caller in the area code uh, 323, are you there? Okay, I don't know if uh, our caller is still with us. But um, I guess we will move on to your recipes. Um, So um, let's see, which is the first recipe that you'd like to discuss today? Well, um, bath bombs and bath fizzies because they're very simple and a great stocking stuffer or a set of them as a gift is a is a great gift. I think seems like a good place to start. And my my philosophy on bath bombs and bath fizzies is that um, you have to look at the economics of them. And um, the traditional method of making bath bombs, where it's two parts sodium bicarbonate and one part citric acid, and then you spritz it with um, witch hazel or water um, has a high failure failure rate and um, because the humidity in the air or the lack of humidity or the way the wind blows or whatever can cause them to fail or get they look like they have like little um, sweaters on that get this fuzzing and things like that um, or they'll just fall apart and so I never teach the traditional method of doing that because I don't want to teach anybody how to make anything that could fail on them and waste their ingredients, waste their time. And in this economy, I don't like to waste people's money. So whenever I show recipes, I always use a hard butter in the recipe so that it'll act as a cement um, to hold the bath fizzy together. And um, and that means, you know, while it's in its uh, mold, it has the ability to finish setting up and you can pull it out and the product's not going to break apart or, or have problems if you end up in a high humidity area and it starts to react too easily. Because basically what happens when you have citric acid and, and sodium bicarbonate together, which is baking soda, 
um, they, they start having a chemical reaction and start fizzing. And um, with too much humidity, the fizzing starts early, so they either don't hold together or they look really furry um, because they've got this outer fizzing going on. So with mine, I, I like to take where you add um, a little bit of a hard butter. And some of my favorites to do are cocoa butter because, um, because cocoa butter has a natural chocolate aroma, so your product already has this great aroma. So would it be easiest if I just gave you like the recipe with the ingredients, June? Uh, sure. Just um, what I want you to do is talk about because we're going to be posting Kayla's recipes on the website uh, along with all of her and her contact information. Um, and um, I just want to mention that Kayla has this wonderful YouTube series called Kitchen Chemistry with Kayla, and. Uh, We'll also give you the link to that a little bit later on. But um, uh, what I want you to talk about is the the ingredients that you use and why you choose these particular ingredients in your recipes. Like, for example, with cocoa butter, for years women mm -hmm. have been using cocoa butter on their skin. And there's been, you know, some people swear by it. Some people say, eh, you know, there's other things out there. Um, why do you particularly use cocoa butter for this recipe? Um, well, one is the aroma because it smells like chocolate, and so your product smells like um, chocolate in the end without having to use a fake um, chocolate scent, um, which I think all of the fake um, chocolate fragrance oils smell like Tootsie Rolls. And um, <laughs> they do give you that's a really, really excellent point. I never thought of that. I just I know that when I smell like a chocolate potpourri or anything that you know where it's you know it, it's been sprayed or something or other, um, it always has that artificial scent. And uh, right. <laughs> it kind of it kind of reminds me of the artificial Christmas trees that they spray with this canned tree fragrance. And it's just, it's just so vile. I don't know why people do that. It's like, you know what, just cut a tree down already. But uh, right. excellent point. So the the real cocoa butter, it's the same, you know, same ingredient that the chocolate comes from. It smells like chocolate, um, and it's and phenomenal. And and the other option with cocoa butter that's great is that if you don't like the smell of chocolate, you can use deodorized cocoa butter. And you still get the great properties in that cocoa butter is fabulous for stretch marks and irritated skin and, and um, dry winter skin and all that sort of thing. So when you use a um, chocolate butter bath bomb in your, in your water, you, as you come out, you've got this cocoa butter you know, um, attached to your skin that just is fabulous, um, especially at this time of the year when it's really dry and, and hard on your skin. Um, in addition... You know, cocoa butter is going to help with itching and that sort of thing, and so will the sodium bicarbonate. Um, sodium bicarbonate is great for, for making your skin um, stop itching, for soothing it, um, for irritation, and your skin feels really soft and smooth when you come out of the tub. Um, and then the other nice thing about using cocoa butter is that it's one of the hardest butters, and um, and its melting point is really high. So when you're taking a hot bath, it actually takes quite a bit of time for it to finish dissolving. So a lot of times when you put a bath bomb in the water, you know, you put it in and flash, it's finished fizzing and 
and the whole thing's over with. Um, but with when you're using a hard butter like cocoa butter, that slows it down because the melting point is so high, and so it just very slowly fizzes over time, which is very nice. Now, I have a question. This may seem very um, basic to you, but when you actually use one of these bath bombs, and I honestly, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to say I never, um, I, I never knew if you were supposed to put it in and then after it was done fizzing, go in the tub, or if you're supposed to go in after you drop it in. Uh, when is the appropriate time for you to actually go into the tub with with the bombs? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. You can t- you can go wh- whatever your preference is. If you want to be in there, like if you have a traditional one and and you want to be in there while it finish doesn't fizzing, then then that's fine. I mean, the point of it basically is the stuff that all dissolves into your bath water. The fizzing is fun and cool, but the but the most important part, really, I mean, the citric acid and the sodium bicarbonate are causing the fizzing, but the important part is really that sodium bicarbonate. Um, and and then whatever, like the cocoa butter or whatever you have in there, um, are fabulous for your skin. So as you soak in it, and then the aromatherapy of it, you're going to get whether you get in at the time or um, or put it in beforehand or afterwards. So it, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of your preference. It's kind of funny funny with kids watching them trying to catch it. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I have another question in regards to citric acid. Now, citric acid is used in uh, preserving food. Um, when I can my tomatoes, I use I, I typically will use lemon juice. Um, you know, just a small smidgen of the lemon juice really won't um, upset the flavor of the tomatoes. Uh, now, right. um, can you use fresh lemon juice, or does it have to be? Um, does it have to say on the bottle citric acid? I mean, uh, are there any other substitutions that you can use? Um, in order to get the fizzing, you wouldn't have to have citric acid um, because uh, the lemon juice isn't as concentrated. Um, and it what wouldn't about grapefruit juice? Create, well, um, yeah, it wouldn't either because it wouldn't create the the fizz. I mean, you could throw it in. It would be fabulous in a bath, but it wouldn't create a bath bomb because it's the bonding of the sodium bicarbonate and citric acid that creates the hard little ball, if that makes sense. No, but I, those I would be great in a bath, and they're great for washing your face and that sort of thing, too, and making little homemade masks and stuff like that out of um, those sorts of juices. But how um if you're gonna use a fresh juice, um, how long how long before it turns? I mean, does it even have any type of a shelf life? Yeah, it wouldn't have any shelf life. You would be going straight from your kitchen to your bathtub and then and then putting back your juice. You wouldn't be able to make a product that um that had a shelf life of more than twenty four hours. Yeah. Because things start to grow almost immediately. Yeah, and that's that's something to remember, folks. Because I, I rather um, mm-hmm. ask you all the questions that I'm sure that many of our listeners have. Uh, but uh, when they go through the recipes, they're going to wonder, okay, what if I don't have this? I know when I'm I personally am mm. cooking in my kitchen. If I don't have something, I I honestly have had tremendous success with substitutions. Um, mm-hmm. Then again, I'll toot my own horn. I'm an excellent chef, but um, with certain things, especially, well, when it comes to baking or when it comes to 
any type of uh, bath or beauty product, you really can't substitute. And the same thing is very true in baking. Baking, it's very difficult to substitute any of the ingredients. You really have to stay true mm-hmm. to the recipe because otherwise what will happen is it um, it will affect the finished product as far as the texture or the consistency or the taste, and in this case, right. um, it'll be you know the consistency, the smell, so on and so forth. Or uh, even worse, right. you don't want to have your own personal science fair project growing out of a bath bomb that you've just created for your bath. You know. Um, now another right. question that I have is laurel leaf. Why do you use laurel leaf? Yeah. I love laurel leaf, especially at this time of the year. Um, and, and I know it's not one of the really well-known essential oils, but basically. It helps um, boost the immune system, and there's been some studies shown where um, when when laurel leaf was topically applied, uh, the white blood cell count increased. And so I've been using laurel leaf faithfully for years, and I used to get um, terribly sick with every cold or flu because of my allergies and, and asthma and things like that. I would end up with multiple infections every single um, winter and so I'd end up like on antibiotics some flu and cold seasons six or seven times and since I started using aromatherapy I also use some herbs as well I I make it through almost every winter um, without getting on any antibiotics I might get a cold like I have one right now but it won't turn into the terrible kind of infections that it used to because I use a combination of herbs and essential oils to help boost my immune system to keep me fighting it. So laurel leaf is one of my favorites, and I, I use it pretty faithfully throughout the um, cold and flu season. Now, when you talk about laurel leaf, is this the actual leaf from like a bay leaf, or is this, um, is this the essential oil? This is the essential oil, yes, laurel leaf okay. essential oil. Uh, okay, I just wanted to clarify that because I grow. I, yeah. I actually have uh, um, a bay, well, a laurel leaf tree. It's, it's a tree, uh, but um, mm-hmm. I was just wondering if that is the same. But obviously, you know, it does not. Um, would right. you be you able have to, to really bust a lot of them? <laughs> oh yeah, and the thing is, is that my the trees are um, well here in the Northeast. The the trees can be hardy. It, it, Honestly, it's like rosemary. I have a number of fellow master gardeners that have these gigantic rosemary bushes, and every year without fail, mine dies at the end of the season. And, um, <laughs> well, I swear you could grow people in my in my garden, but it, it's that fertile, but <laughs> I don't know. Rosemary's <laughs> never had much luck. Um, Kayla, I have, we have a question from the audience, and the question is, I love the bath bombs. How long should I let them sit before packaging and sending? What is the best method for shipping? Okay. So if it's the traditional bath bombs, then those normally sit um, three or four hours after they've come out of the molds and um, make sure that the humidity is not going to affect them. And if you are doing traditional bath bomb methods um, where you aren't using something like that, like a hard butter that makes it a cement, um, then you really should have a dehumidifier in the room that you're manufacturing in. Um, that will pull the moisture out and help you have less failures. Um, and then that will also help while it's sitting up for you to get all the moisture out of there. And then you can package them a variety of different ways, um, uh, mylar bags, um, 
plastic containers or glass containers, you don't want a bag that's going to breathe too much because if air gets in it as it transports or as it's sitting on a shelf someplace, then it could start reacting again and um, and you've got something ugly on the shelf. And also, if you're using essential oils, um, if there isn't something holding the essential oils in, like a glass container or something like that, they'll just leave, they'll disperse into the air, and by the time you use the bath product, you know, there's no aroma left. Um, and then uh, shipping it just really depends on what you package them in. There are, um, I've seen people package them in, in almost like egg carton sort of things that, mm-hmm. that make it so that they can ship without breaking. Because the traditional method, they are very breakable. Um, when you use the um, hard butters and, and some of my recipes, they're going to be a, a bit more hardy and less affected by the humidity in the air as well. And, um, and they're going to hold the essential oil deep inside the product because they're held in with the, um, with the hard butter. Thank you. Thank you so much. And actually, we have a couple of callers on the line, so I'm going to start off with a caller in the 318 area code. Are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Hi. Did you have a uh, Did you have a question for Kayla? Um. Well, the with the um, bath bombs. Uh, how like what size do you generally? use for like do you make them um according to each bath experience or do you make because i've seen those huge ones and i wondered how to use those (laughs) do you just use the whole Mm -hmm. thing at one time or or that's why i was that was one thing i wondered about (laughs) okay well when once you start reacting one um, you have to use it all up because it'll keep, once it's got moisture in it, then it'll kind of keep fizzing and turn into this icky little thing on the side of your tub if you try and stop it. So with the really big ones, if you don't want to use it all, then you can break it in half and throw part in and then put the other aside. But generally, each bath bomb is designed to be one bath. And um, sometimes with the smaller ones, you might see in the instructions, put one or two in a bathtub. Um and it really depends on how strong it's been fragranced and things like that as to as to how many are going to be recommended to be put in. I normally um, do mine at 1% to 2% essential oils so that the whole bath bomb can go in and it wouldn't be any issue of, at all. And and then basically most, most people are using soap molds or um, bath bomb molds to, to do them. And a lot of times, you know, the little ones are about an ounce. Um, and then they may be up to about three ounces of, or maybe four a total, um, of total weight. And so anytime your bath bomb's in those ranges, you're fine to throw the whole thing in. Okay. Do you have any other Does questions? Does that answer that? Sorry. Do you have any other questions for Kayla? Um, no, just waiting to hear about the... Um, Body butters. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for calling in. If um, if you have any questions, feel free to um, either give us a call back or um, uh, reach out to us in the chat room. Uh, also, the recipes will be posted on 
theorganicview.com after the show. Uh, we actually have another caller, so uh, I just want to say thank you again for calling. Uh, caller from the from area code three two three. Are you there? I think we lost the call again. Um, uh, so Kayla, I guess the next recipe that we're going to cover. Um, is um which which one do you want to move to next? Uh well, do you want to jump to uh, massage oils and and sure. body massage butters? Okay, sure, that would be great. Um they're they're really a simple thing to make because um there there's no big chemistry going on when you're when you're making massage oils. It's basically choosing your favorite oils and blending them together at a at a nice ratio. When it comes to massage oils, um, a couple things you want to think about though is if if oil gets onto sheets, then it can cause um, basically over time a rancid odor from your sheets because oils go rancid over time. And putting them in the wash with the hot water and then and then the dryer. Um, and the heat increases the speed of that rancid aroma coming up. And so I often recommend, especially for personal use, because you don't want your sheets all smelling nasty, um, I I recommend using the three oils that never go rancid because they won't end up causing that problem with your product, with your sheets. And so those oils are um, fractionated coconut oil, metafoam oil, and jojoba oil. And Can jojoba talk- oil is the one you see all the time with the J. Oh, yeah. J-O-J. Oh, yeah. Can you just yeah. talk about fractionated coconut oil and metafoam for people that have absolutely no idea what any of that is? Well, fractionated coconut oil is it basically comes from, from coconut oil, and it has an extra process where it has fractionated off, removed a portion of the oil itself. Coconut oil is a solid butter, basically. It's a solid oil at, at um, 76 degrees. And um, this this pulls off the solids. It also pulls off what the parts that go rancid. And so um, it, it makes it so this is, a, you know, a great oil for massage products. It has incredible slip and feel to it. So um, a little bit goes a really long ways. Um, it's hard to explain. It's kind of like it got this kind of round feeling that um, gives you a nice slip. It feels thicker than most oils when you're working with it. Metafoam oil is a oil. Go ahead. I was going to say, it makes me want to get a massage right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Metafoam oil is an oil that um, grows here in the Northwest, um, and it and it is a renewable oil, um, so it's, it's a it's a fabulous product because it grows in fields like um, you know like a regular harvest, and um, and it w- once they harvest it, it comes back the next year, and it looks like fields of a meadow, um, and meadows of foam basically the, as it grows. Um, and it was discovered by OHSU here in Oregon and that it has this great property. It's used in a lot of products. It, it, it gives a really nice slip and feel, feel as well to a product. Um, and then it lends its ability to um, not go rancid to other oils that it's used with. So sometimes it can be used in place of vitamin E to, to help um, um, increase the length of your shelf life. 
And then jojoba oil is um, is the oil that's uh, a lot of people are familiar with it. It's a pretty popular oil. It has the same chemistry as your skin sebum. So if you have really oily skin and you're concerned about using oil on your skin, jojoba oil is the oil to use because it tends to um, make your skin stop overproducing oil because it now feels like it has enough oil, whereas normally oily skin keeps overproducing oil because people um, try out their skin because they feel like their skin's too oily, so their skin then feels like it's too dry, so it produces more oil. So jojoba oil is a great one for that, especially for anyone who really is like, I don't want to have a massage, I already have oily skin. Jojoba oil would be the one to go with. Interesting. That. There's tons of... So it really absorbs directly into the skin, into the pores. Right, and and your skin recognizes it as sebum. So it's, so instead of um, producing more, it um, it feels like it's gotten what it needed, it, it, and it, it has done enough, and it doesn't need to produce more. So I've seen people with really oily skin, really acneic um, oily skin. We've we've blended essential oils into jojoba oil and then had them apply that as their moisturizer, and their skin has evened out, their acne's gotten better, and they've stopped overproducing oil, and we also made them stop drying out their skin as well with um, with astringents and things like that. And so it's pretty phenomenal to watch somebody's skin, um, you know, come into its regular balance um, with jojoba oil. Now, um, are there any, uh, can you use any of these oils in its natural state, like, for for example, the jojoba oil. Can you just use plain jojoba oil on your skin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can use just just straight jojoba oil um, anywhere on your skin, on your face as well. Now, olive oil. Olive oil is something mm-hmm. that I actually have been using for years um, on elbows, in my hair. Um, it, yeah. I found that, especially for my um, type of hair, it's it's an excellent leave-in conditioner, um, and mm-hmm. especially during the dry winter months, when um, you know this uh, the, the the cold weather and the wind and everything, it just really does a number on my hair. I find that if I rub about, um, well, I have very long hair, so I'll rub about. Um, a little over quarter size in my palms and you know run it through not only my scalp but on the ends of my hair just throughout the entire length and I'll just keep brushing it in um I find that mm-hmm. that really gives it an extra um not, not only an extra shine but it also conditions it and keeps it from splitting apart especially um in brutal weather uh we just got a mm-hmm. snowstorm so and I'm thinking about that oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> now, um, in addition to the olive oil, do you have any other favorites? Um, well, I, I also love olive oil, um, and it has a similar slip too as um, the metafoam and the coconut. How I talked about how it was like this very thick feeling oil. So that's another fabulous thing about olive oil. Um, also, like grapeseed oil for people who don't like a really um, greasy feeling oil. It's one of the driest feeling oils, um, and so it gives you the slip, but without um, feeling really greasy, and it absorbs pretty quickly into the skin. So that's that's a nice one. Um, it tends to have a really long shelf life as well. 
um, making it a making it a nice oil to work with. Um, and then there's tons of great oils. Like I really love carrot oil. And you wouldn't use it straight because it's very expensive, but you could blend it in with a blend that you were making. And um, it has this really fabulous kind of nutty, herby aroma that um, is fabulous, and then it's just full of antioxidants. So it's Carrot perfect. oil, that's something that you don't really hear a lot about. And it's expensive, it, you said? Why is it, it so is expensive? It is kind of expensive. Um, well, because you don't get that much yield off of the um, carrot. It's from carrot seeds, and it's it's just it's fabulous oil, but the yield isn't very large. There's an essential oil, and then there's a carrier oil. The essential oil happens to smell terrible, in it. and and while it's great for using for um, for mature skin, the smell is pretty over, overwhelming. So basically, unless you're really familiar with blending, I wouldn't touch it. But the carrier oil has a fabulous scent. And it's this really rich, um, dark green color, full of antioxidants. It's fabulous. There's some great oils out there that aren't from, aren't really common, like broccoli seed oil. That one is so cool, and it'd be great for your hair, too, um, because it's basically nature's ver- version of dimethicone. So when you put it on the skin and when you put it on the hair, it acts a lot like dimethicone does in that it creates this almost seal looking like your skin sealed appearance, but actually your skin's still able to breathe. Um, and uh, and it also gives a nice slip in the hair, so it's good for combing through your hair. It's pretty expensive, too, because it comes from the seeds, but just a little bit makes a huge difference. We've been putting it, we recently put it in one of our shampoos, um, and, and we're working on other formulas that we can use it and incorporate it without making the price go crazy because it is pretty expensive. That's really interesting. There's really a lot of neat oil. Yeah, I mean, if you think about some of these uh, these vegetables, especially a root vegetable like a carrot, I mean, who would have thought to use the seeds and make an essential oil out of the seeds? And, yeah, uh, you don't exactly get a lot of seeds out of one carrot, but, yeah, I would think that you would use... (laughs) You know, I'm just thinking right. about this from a horticultural perspective, but uh, just out of curiosity, I know this is a little off topic, but you've kind of piqued my interest. What other uh-huh. interesting vegetables uh, do you use the seeds from in order to, uh, well, do you use the essential oils from that are a little offbeat but are kind of cool like that? Right. Well, these are carrier oils, so they're not the essential oil, but they have these great aromas with them. But um, but they are the carrier oils, so they have a the, the greasy sort of feeling, which is nice. Um, What's the difference and, um, between a carrier oil and an essential oil? Um, a essential oil is basically the essence of the plant, and it's steam distilled or pressed out of um, out of the material. So, like lavender is steam distilled um, by taking the lavender um, flowers and then you steam them and out of the steam rises the oil and a water and you separate off the oil and water. And um, and the essential oils are far more concentrated. Carrier oils are basically um, pressed from the seeds and an, an actual greasy sort of oil comes out, like olive oil. Um, and those can be used directly on the skin, whereas essential oils are so concentrated, they need to be in a carrier oil to go on the skin. So 
So they're very, while they both have oil in the name, it's kind of a misnomer, they're very different. Um, and um, essential oils don't have a greasy sort of feeling at all um, because they're basically, like when you touch a, when you touch a rosemary plant and you have rosemary aroma on your hand, mm-hmm. it's because the essential oil is in the leaves and when you touch it, it, it comes off into your hands. But when we just steam distill it, we get even more of it out. And so a more concentrated version of it. How potent yeah. that is. Have it's you ever used um very fun. have you ever used anything um especially with cilantro or uh, um I'm just trying to think, dill? I, I can only imagine oh, what yeah. it would smell like. I mean you you would think um, it smells like is... a pickle or salsa, but it's gotta be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, dill is really a powerful essential oil. Um, it's not overly commonly used, but it's it's a very safe essential oil for um, use for babies with colic. And um, so when I've done blends before with it, um, you just use a really small amount. You don't need much and, and blend it into a carrier oil and just massage it counterclockwise on the belly and, and um, it helps babies with colic. I used it with my kids and I've used it with friends, um, colic and upset stomachs and that, that sort of thing. That's the main thing dill is used for is upset stomachs and can be used, you know, adults all the way through. And you and only see, need folks, like a tenth of a percent. Talking to Kayla, you just learn so much. I mean, you know, Martha Stewart never talks about this stuff. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here and I'm smiling and I'm just like, wow, you know, Kayla must be the woman in demand in her town, especially with new mothers and just everybody. I, I could imagine all the phone calls that you must get on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> you know. I normally, when I see people, they're like, look at this rash, look at this, what do I do for that? Um, so it is pretty common. <laughs> or or if there's an outbreak of head lice or whatever, then I normally do get a call from somebody. They're all like, Kayla knows what to do. Or I, I recently have pictures on my blog of my um, pastor burned his face with a chemical burn and uh and everyone sent him to come see me the next day and we put lavender i put together a little you know package for him and told him what to do and he took pictures because he was so impressed and you know within 10 days this you couldn't even tell he had been injured um it was so amazing so it's, it's really fun i i enjoy you know hearing people's stories and i always just get so into what's wrong at the moment, that I never think to say, take pictures and show me, um, because I'm like, oh, I know how to fix that. Okay, now put together the thing, and and then they come back, and I'm always like, oh man, I didn't tell you to take pictures, but fortunately my pastor did, and so the pictures are on my blog. You have to send um, me some of that it, lavender, it that 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 uh, the lavender ointment that you made, because um, I'd be curious. My yeah. um, I have a family member that had a pretty nasty burn on his hand, and um, I'd love to be able to say, see, this is right from Kayla. And uh, Here I go. <laughs> I will. Thank you. You um, need some. You play in your kitchen a lot, so you need some lavender. I recently burned myself, and I was too busy to take care of it at the time. I was like, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And I normally put lavender on immediately. And it was the first time I've had a burn mark on me um, that stuck around because normally I apply, and you just keep applying until the sting's gone. And then normally you don't end up with a mark at all if you get it right away. But um, this last one I I didn't, and everyone was so surprised. They're like, wow, you have a burn on you. I'm like, I know, it's busy, I know. (laughs) Well, with the the scar, Um, can't you put... I was going to say, can't you use um, 
uh, either hunt, well, some type of a honey-based um, ointment or something or other. Oh on yeah, it. You, honey's great. You can um, you can use uh, vitamin E. You um, you can put uh, lavender, uh, chamomile, um, heliochrysum. They all heal things really quickly. And so putting those into a carrier of some sort, either an oil or a um, vitamin E or honey, but with the honey you're not going to keep it on as long, so it's kind of nice to put it into an oil base where it will absorb in and, and stay on. So, yeah, yeah I, it's healing up nicely now that I'm taking care of it, but I haven't even ended up with a mark for years, even though I burn myself constantly because I'm just kind of um, a scattered cook. I'm, I'm excited and throwing things around and doing well, it's, it's, it's par for the course, and uh, just in case you're wondering, folks, um, I myself have many, many battle scars on my arms, my hands, <laughs> and, you know, it happens. Yep. I don't care who you are unless you're uh, some type of TV personality where they have people that do that for them. Uh, if you're really hands-on, it's going to happen. It's, you know, it, it's oh, just yeah. impossible. It's it, it doesn't matter how careful you are, and I know Kayla is very careful. I'm very careful, but um, I still have a pretty nasty burn mark on my left forearm from Thanksgiving about eight years ago when I pulled something out of the oven and the the, up, the, the upper rack had been pulled out and I wasn't paying attention or I was just in a rush yeah. to get it out, and I have a nice little uh, grill mark <laughs> And uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, right it of happens. passage. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, the next recipe that I want to talk about, and this is something that my sister-in-law absolutely loves, the reed diffusers. How oh, yeah. did you How did you come up with the whole concept of making them? I mean, honestly, um, I never really saw them before until um, I would say the last couple of years. I, I'd never mm-hmm. seen anything like it before. What um, what inspired you to create these? Well, um, basically because they got really popular, but everything out there was was filled with fragrance oils, so I couldn't use them, of course. So that's what got me interested in in um, you know playing with them on the aromatherapy side of things. Plus, people are always looking for pretty inexpensive ways to have aromatherapy in their house without having to buy you know. A hundred dollar or more diffuser, um, and so so I'm always looking for those kind of ways where you could easily bring aromatherapy into your house, um, simple for you to do and last for a long time. So I basically started playing with it, and I looked at all the different kind of carriers for um, what you would put the essential oil in, because I'm super conscientious of things being non toxic and safe and. Um, you know, I have kids in my home and dogs and cats, and you know, I don't want anything to harm my animals and and my and my my little people, and um, and then I don't want them to cause an allergic reaction for me. So I really researched carefully. You know, there's a lot of different recipes using fractionated coconut oil, jojoba oil, um, and there's ones using di um, dipropylene glycol, and my first instinct was, oh, I don't know, I don't want to use a dipropylene glycol because I want to keep it as natural as possible. But when I did the research and I played with them and I tried the oil ones at home, um, you know, using fractionated coconut or jojoba oil, 
they really just didn't come up the reeds. It didn't disperse the scent up the reeds well enough. And mm-hmm. I was always paranoid that if somebody knocked it over, I was going to have an oil stain on my on my carpet. So I really did the research on dipropylene glycol, found that it was a completely safe, non-toxic, totally gentle, approved by everybody under the sun, all kinds of studies done on it, and found that it was totally safe. Um, and it's, you know, non-toxic by by dermal or oral or inhalation. So um, I decided to go with that, and I did find that it works significantly better. Um, it does wick up the the reeds better, um, allowing the aroma outside of the little um, jars, because otherwise the jars just have a really small opening, and if the aroma doesn't wick up the reeds, then um, the aroma stays inside the jar. Uh, you know, other than this tiny little disbursement. So uh, basically then I just kind of played with what was going to work best with these, the different aromas and and uh, how much essential oil you had to put in there. And I found that using six parts dipropylene glycol to four parts essential oils works best across the board depending on, you know, whether it's a high molecular weight or a low molecular weight of an essential oil, which just basically determines how quickly it disperses into the air. Um, and and I played with those. We we have two different recipes um, on our kitchen chemistry showing basically two different containers. And you can, you can do these where you make the batch just to go in that one container because it will last for quite a while. Or you can make um, a batch where you, you know, sell it or give it away with an 8-ounce or 16-ounce refillable container so you can keep filling it and have this product last for a long time. And, you know, you really can't go wrong with these. You know, I tried them with lavender. I tried them with just peppermint. I did blends. Um, we have this earthen blend that my little hippie daughter loves. Um, and she loves it. She sprays it all over herself. And, and when when I asked her, because they come and help me with some of the experimenting and playing with stuff, I asked her, what do you want to do it with? And she's like, earthen. Um, it smells like patchouli. Um, but it's kind of... <laughs> a little bit more um, general public friendly. It's been, you know, not everybody likes patchouli, and the earthen's been kind of more rounded out. So yeah, patchouli is so much, a much desired scent. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, uh, yeah. it's very popular. People really hate it, too. Yeah, it was popular yeah. before I was born, thank God, and, um, you know, <laughs> it has made a comeback. It's a, it's, it's a very strong scent and especially if you're not exactly too thrilled about scents to begin with um you know it's, it is much to be desired um i have a quick question from the audience <clears throat> which oils and essential oils are good for psoriasis uh this lady wrote i've read that shea butter is not good as for essential oils i've read conflicting information and um, psoriasis is the, the, basically most affected by the sun. Um, so um, I'm trying to remember my skin issues right off the top of my head, and I'm pretty sure psoriasis is the one that, that um, is best affected with essential oils that increase the strength of the sun on the area. And so um, using citrus essential oils uh, is best. And you, you basically can blend it into 
any carrier oil. My guess with the with the um, shea oil, it could be because or shea butter not being good is because shea butter does have some natural SPF properties, and um, you know while there's no rating on it or anything like that, it does have some natural properties to that, and so. Um, that would make it not the best choice because you want the sun on your skin um, because it helps. It, it is the most effective thing for it. So um, using something, uh, probably not the butters in general. A lot of butters have an SPF sort of value. So just sticking with straight carrier oils would be fine. And I, I know I've done some people who have psoriasis in their hair and that sort of thing, and we've blended citrus essential oils into their shampoo and conditioner so that um, they're getting it onto their scalp and, and being able to leave it on without having to leave a, a greasy, oily, or lotion sort of thing on your skin. So that is the best thing. There's lime and bergamot and um, grape, actually not grapefruit. Grapefruit doesn't increase skin sensitivity or, you know, the, the sun's um, properties. So so basically, every essential, every citrus essential oil other than grapefruit will help with psoriasis. Thank you so much for answering that. Uh, now, on to our next recipe, bath salts, soaks, and powders. Is there any particular tip or trick that you recommend to the first-time uh, adventurer <laughs> that's creating this in their kitchen? Into well, you know the the easiest thing that makes that makes it easy is is um, if you're if you're blending um, in a bath salt or anything like that, uh, you should be using one percent essential oil. So for every ounce of product you use, you can use, um, and that's by volume basically. It's because not everyone's going to have a scale. You can use four to five drops of essential oil. So um, or if you have a sixteen ounces of of um, salt, then you would just multiply, you know, if you want to go on the low end, 4 times 16 or 5 times 16 and put that number of drops in. Or if you just want to take, a, you know, a, an ounce worth out and make one little mixture, that gives you just an easy ratio to start with. And then there's a, so many different salts um, on the market. I'm a huge fan of Himalayan salts because it's pretty and it's pink and it's full of cool minerals that aren't everywhere. Isn't um, it expensive though? Salt. <clears throat> it is. So a lot of times you want to blend it with things. Um, like the recipe that I have is blended with solar salts so that, you know, it'll cut down on your cost. The least expensive is, uh, you know, sea salt, just plain sea salt. Um, it's great too. It's got all kinds of minerals that are available in the ocean, um, and then there's Dead Sea that has its unique minerals. Um, there's a lot of different things. And if you want to add extra minerals that you want to like, if you want to use sea salt, and but you want it to have all kinds of extra minerals, then you can buy powdered kelp and just add just a tiny smidgen of that in there, nice. and it'll turn your product slightly green and bring you those minerals. Um, that are unique to a different ocean or or um, you can use blue-green algae. There's a whole bunch of things that are full of cool um, water-based minerals. Um, and then if you, you know, want to play it really safe with essential oils and want to be able to put in um, peppermint without being afraid that it's going to be, like, overly cooling in the bathtub, mm. then um, if you just put the same amount of carrier oil drops in as you put essential oils, then you're going to coat it and not make your product, you know, it's not going to make your bath really greasy or anything like that, 
but it's going to offer just a little coating onto the salts um, and the essential oils, and that will gently coat your skin. And that way, if you use peppermint and it's cooling or something that's really warming, um, it won't be too much because the um, carrier oil will will coat the skin and protect it from it, you know, being too strong of an effect. Kayla, can you just repeat your rule of thumb with the percentage of essential oil that you should use for the bath salt? Um, 1%. So for every one ounce of product, you'd use four to five drops. And um, basically the exact 1% is 4.8 drops, and being that you can't put, an, you know, 0.8 of a drop in. So when you're at five drops, you're just a tiny smidge over 1%. And when you're at four drops, you're under 1%. So for every one ounce, use 1% essential oil. Yeah, uh, four, or four to five drops, yeah. So or for four every, to five yeah. drops. I'm just yeah. making a notation of that. Uh, thank you so much. Now, uh, another question in regards to bath salts uh, or soaked powders, how do you store them? Um, it's best to be airtight because um, some some salts are have a little bit of moisture as well. I have like by my bathtub a big glass container that I just take the lid off and you know put it back on. Um, and you know if you're you're selling them for retail, you can put them in a variety of different bags that'll be airtight um, jars and and tubes and things like that. Um, the, and then a lot of times you can have them, you know, be repackageable. But they will absorb air, I mean, absorb moisture from the air sometimes. And you'll get that sometimes why you see clumping in salts is because they've absorbed some of the moisture and clumped up. Um, that's that's kind of the key to, to keeping your salts fresh. Now, with the bath salts and the powders, <clears throat> can you, when you're packaging them, um, can you use say, for example, a hemp tea cloth bag or any type of a tea bag uh, that would be used for loose uh, loose tea leaves? I mean, can you package it in that type of material so that, in essence, it's almost making a tea out of, um, you know, the, the, the ingredients? Right. That's really a popular way to do it when you also add herbs. Um, I mean, you could do it either way, but, but it's a great way to add herbs without making a big mess in your bathtub. So, you know, picture, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get all everywhere down your drain and all over the side of your tub and that sort of thing. So, if you want to add, you know, like uh rose petals or lavender or rosemary or any sort of herb, then those those tea bags are phenomenal for that. And you just, you know, package them up and then you put that in there and um, a lot of times you can get those as reusable ones so that um, you store your product in a little glass jar and then you scoop it into your little bag and then you use your bag, clean it all out, and, and leave it sitting there till you're ready to use it again. Interesting. Um, are there any other types of, of packaging that you would recommend for someone that's, say, for example, making these to give as a gift for this Christmas season? I really like, um, you know, recycling uh, jars from your kitchen, you know, cleaning them out thoroughly um, and then cleaning them with like a rubbing alcohol to totally make sure that there's nothing contaminating and then reusing them for that. They can make a really cute, you know, packaging, different little um, 
bows and that sort of thing can make it really cute. And then you're, you know, recycling and reusing. So that's a great way to do it. And then on our website, um, we have a section um, called uh, Packaging Resources. And there we link to all kinds of suppliers. We don't supply packaging. It's not our thing. But we, we, pack, we, we link you to a whole bunch of different people who do all the way down to, you know, buying 12 bottles at a time to cases and cases of it at a time. So um, that resource is available to anyone who, who doesn't have, you know, the right recycled containers around for, for doing something like that. Thank you so much. That's that's really an excellent, excellent resource. Um, I have another question from the audience, and this gal would like to know if she could use her wine bottles for to, to basically um, – use to store the the bath salts and bath powders is that something that you would advise yeah definitely you can you you wouldn't want to you know sterilize them um, and get them nice and clean and then uh, pour some rubbing alcohol in there get that everywhere in there and then turn it upside down and let it totally drip until it's totally dry inside and then definitely you can you need to use probably a funnel which you can find those in the hardware section of a any store um, and you can also find the kitchen section, um, yes. and then you would just funnel it into there. Now, why rubbing alcohol inside the bottle to uh, as an extra step to make sure that the glass is uh, clean? Well, because water, if there's any bit of water left in your product from cleaning it or in your packaging from cleaning it, water is the food for all bacteria, basically. And so rubbing alcohol is going to go through there and sanitize and and most people have rubbing alcohol at home at home um and sanitize get all last drips of water um gone and and then it evaporates away um so that that's the main reason thank you so much and it kills every german contact that's you know once again priceless information and if you can reuse and recycle something so that it can be renewed so to speak just to get my three r's in um it's definitely you know why not um i i mean i've seen people use those little miniature you know how they they have the gift baskets with the miniature jams and jellies i've seen people use mm-hmm. those uh with with bath salts and different um yeah. bath products uh, to give as gifts and you know i think that's pretty clever and the thing is is that when you're giving a gift you don't necessarily have to give this big gigantic um, uh, product. I think what matters is the heart and the love that goes into making that that gift, whatever it may be. And it, you know, of course, if you're doing this from a business perspective, of course, you want to have some type of uh, uniform method of packaging it mm-hmm. just for you know production purposes and pricing. But if you're giving it as a gift, use whatever you have. Stop going crazy and you know just make use of what you have. Now, the next recipe right. is the lip balms. How did you come about making your own lip balms? Oh, you know, they actually started back when we had the party plan and, and we were, um, you know, doing customize, customizing based on people's needs. And I started making lip balm um, for people with, um, uh, oh, cold sores. Um, so it was originally a therapeutic thing that I was doing. And then I really got into it and really enjoyed the blending of, of different things to get different textures and feels on the skin. Um, and so it kind of 
started out of as a, as a therapeutic thing, but um, and also so many lip balms on the market um, actually are somewhat addictive. They have something in it that makes you actually need that product again. And okay, um, uh, yeah, uh, are you I won't name names, but there you? are some of the. Oh, okay. I I, I don't like to. Um, but but there are some of the bigger big brands that have been around a long time, and people who use them might know it because they go, I'm always craving, I always need it. Um, lip balm, and you shouldn't that is so always sneaky. Need. I'm sorry, that's yeah, just so you shouldn't sneaky. always need lip it. You sh- yeah. Wow. <laughs> so no, it's making me wonder. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just you just like threw this whole thing at me, and I'm just thinking to myself. You know, I'm, I'm I'm listening to you, and I'm taking this little trip down memory lane, thinking to myself. I remember the, there was this one line of um, lip chap, whatever whatever you call it, the the lip um, the lip glosses. And when I was a I guess a tween teenager, I used to love them, and I used to always just the, the smell of them. And now I understand why. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a little bit like they make your skin just a little bit dry and you need some more. So they should be instead making your skin and your lips healthier and you just enjoy using it. It shouldn't be that you're just constantly in need of it. In the winter and if you're someplace really dry, you may need, you know, lip balm. But your lip balm should, all you really need is there to be a good carrier oil, you know, nice oils in it and a nice wax um, that holds it together and then, you know, different essential oils for flavor and, and um, properties. But um, but anything else that's in there isn't necessary. You don't need any dimethicone or mineral oil or anything else. Um, you just need real, you know, pure plant-based vegetable oils in your in your lip products. So you can make them with um, beeswax. And um, if you're vegan and you need it to be a vegan one, there's candelilla wax. It tends to be a little bit of a harder wax, so it's a little harder to work with. Um, sometimes it'll cause some crystallization and things like that. But of the of the vegan waxes, it's the best option. I've tried them all, um, and, like and to, that one gives you, you know, the most the nicest finished product. I'd like to just interject one thing about the beeswax. As a vegan and as a beekeeper, um, you know, I use beeswax. I I use uh, mm-hmm. different products from the, from uh, my hive, um, and the thing is, is that uh, there's I'm going to be doing a series of segments that address uh, everything from colony collapse disorder, which I've done a number of segments on already from some mm-hmm. of the top professors in the United States. But um, the bee issue just really needs so much education, and because there's so much yeah. misinformation out there by people that are basically repeating false information without having factual uh, knowledge or taking the time to just research it by asking an expert. But beeswax has been used by the ancient Egyptians, for Pete's sake, and the healing mm-hmm. properties are tremendous. So, I, I sorry, I just wanted to interject that. Um, yeah. by my, my choice, personally, would be to use the beeswax just because of the medicinal properties. They're just tremendous. But um, what yeah, I I'm a huge ask, fan of beeswax. Yeah, it's it's just phenomenal. Um, I I just really <laughs> I want to ask you, how did you find out that the lip balms were addictive? I, I'm still I'm still sitting here in shock because <laughs> you basically stumped me, and that's you know that's not oh, easy to do. You know, 
when um, uh, I was on a college trip, I actually got interested in this way before I got into the skincare. I've always been a really research fanatic, and um, and I and my roommate on this trip, I spent six months in Ireland, and she was completely addicted to this one lip product, and and we it actually was part of her nickname. We called her by this, um, and and uh, um, and basically. That kind of got me interested, and so I am a research fanatic, and I just kind of started reading and looking, and I all, already was allergic to things, so I always was a kind of researcher. And um, and I researched what's in that product, and I discovered that one of the ingredients was addictive. And um, and when we came back from the trip, and I had learned this over the summer, um, we we went through detox. We were like, all right, this is an intervention. And... <laughs> And and um, and she did get off of it and and um, never went back to using that particular product and then went back to normally just normal application of lip balms from that period on. <laughs> can you say what the ingredient so that, that, is that that people can look for? Oh gosh, um, I don't know if I remembered off the top of my head. I might have to look it up. It sounds um, like you post that at some point. Um, you know, I won't name the product, but uh, I would like to name the ingredient so that people can actually look for it. I I, I want to look for it myself because I'm really kind of annoyed that, well, um, you know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that people, women are using this product to keep their lips moist, and it has a drawing effect. I mean that's that's yeah that's as clever as what they do with pantyhose where they make them only so durable and then they're only meant oh, to last for so long. Oh yeah, pantyhose it's just it's the biggest rip off because they're meant to rip and they know that women have to wear them especially, you know, if you have a professional position um now you you have to wear pantyhose and um it's just it's such a money maker. So it's just it's just interesting when I hear stuff like this, you know. Um, right. Now, lastly, because we are actually running out of time, with uh, the body mist clones and perfumes, this is this I'm sure is your favorite one because you have such low tolerance to them. But um, any any recommendations for the newbie? I just, I'm laughing. Somebody on Twitter already twittered me and said and, and made the guess <laughs> of who no. it is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, for I, I, this is one of my favorite things. And basically, there's some basics, and and you'll have it up on your site. But you know, whenever you're making, um, when you're using a body mist, um, you're you're using the least amount of essential oils. Basically, they're the low percentage of essential oils. Um, so if you just want a really light aroma, that's the way to go. Um, you do have to emulsify the essential oil into the product. So that's one where you. Um, you know, you have a body mist base and a like polysorbate 20 where you blend the oil and water together. When you're making perfumes, then you're making it into an alcohol or a carrier oil or a, a, a perfume um, a balm base, and you don't end up with that emulsifier, but you, but you get to put in more scent too, so they wear longer and they're stronger. So a perfume is normally 20 to 40% essential oils, um, and then it kind of goes down as you look at, like, I don't know how to say, actually, the eau de toilette and, um, and colognes and that, whereas colognes gets to 2 to 5%, and the eau de toilette is 5 to 20%. So there's different ratios of the amount of essential oils that you put in. And then the key to making a really good perfume in, is 
Um, well, there's two big things. It's what you put it in, um, and you can go how I used to make perfume before I um, before I started buying. Um, I buy organic, certified organic um, alcohol, but I have a permit um, for for having this alcohol that also means I can't sell it. Um, I can only use it for manufacturing. So if the, somebody in their home wanting to make perfume can just go to the liquor store and buy some Everclear. Um, it's the best thing. You can buy vodka. It's a little bit cheaper, but it's got um, a lower alcohol content, so it has a stronger aroma. Um, and uh, so basically what what you're doing is uh, um, putting your putting together a blend and then putting it into a carrier. So my favorite is alcohol because it does intensify the aroma. You can also put it into, like, fractionated coconut for a – for, or jojoba for a perfume oil, um, or you can put it into a perfume balm. We just put out a new perfume balm where you can put up to 20% um, essential oils in and have a nice, you know, balm that you rub on with your fingers. Um, and then your basic formula is that you need to have your base notes and your middle notes and your top notes. And your, your base notes are the things that stay on for a long period of time. They have high molecular weights, and so they stick to the skin, and they take longer to absorb into your skin, and they take longer to, you know, disperse into the air. And so that's really your big key is making a nice base note that you like the aroma of. Um, and um, so that and that ends up being 40 to 45 to 55 percent of your scent blend. And then um, and then your middle note is is the note that you know, stays around for several hours um, with your base note, and that ends up being 30 to 40% of your blend. Now, your top notes, which you, and it's very important because this is what makes people buy it or like it initially, your top note is what you smell immediately, right when you put it on and for the first hour of, of wearing it. It's what, it's what the um, person at the shelf, you know, really picks up as that top note, and then as they mm. keep smelling, they pick up the other aromas. And that top notes though only 15 to 25 percent of your blend, and and um, I have all this information together on what are top notes and what are middle notes and what are base notes, and um, even like when I started I hated patchouli because I just thought it smelled like dirt and mold, but as <laughs> I started blending. <laughs> I learned that it has just this fabulous blending ability. I don't like patchouli alone, but I do love it as a blender. So it makes fabulous perfumes, and it's a really common base note. Um, it's in a ton of perfume um, because it really holds things on, and then it really marries well with other aromas. So it is, is that, one of the more common base notes. Is that why when you smell certain perfumes on women, the smell is so overwhelming and so overpowering that just you're just like, whoa, you know, why is that? Right. You kind of choke. Well, it's like, you know. Right. But um, the main I've reason for that is the main reason for that is that um, when you use the same scent over and over again, you become uh, you, you stop being able to smell it. Um, your your nose becomes so familiar with it that it doesn't pick up the scents anymore. 
And so you keep applying more and more and more and more to, so that you can smell it. The whole world around you is like choking out, but you <laughs> yeah. are having a hard time smelling it because your nose has become so accustomed to it that it's like on burnout with it. So it doesn't, it's kind of like perfume addiction. You know, you, you need more and more and more. Um, and so that's that's the main reason why some people's perfume smells really, really overwhelmingly strong. And I always recommend to my friends, and my friends all, I tell them, your perfume's too strong, man. Um, <laughs> it's ask people, how is my perfume to you? Um, because you do stop. If you wear the same thing, you stop becoming, um, you're so familiarized with it that you don't smell it. And then also, every single human being's chemistry is completely different. So the same perfume on different people is smells differently. So it's really fascinating how that how that works. Oh, yeah. And uh, fellas, for those of you that insist upon dousing yourself uh, like there's no tomorrow with some of these scents, and then you go to the gym to work out, you know, it just... It's the scent that keeps on giving, you know. It just <laughs> it's something that you just really just now when in doubt, don't do it, okay? Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have any friends, yeah, but, you know, ask ask I don't know. Don't ask anybody just don't wear it. Too strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just something that it, it amazes me. I mean uh, when I work with the public, especially this time of the year, during the summertime, people, um, it's kind of hit or miss. Most people don't wear as much fragrance uh, as they used to, basically because it attracts insects, uh, especially the mosquitoes. But during the winter, it's like all of a sudden, you know, it's cold out, so they have to just put an extra coating on just to make sure that that scent is going to be carried through the air so that when it hits me, I'm definitely going to drop dead from the smell of it. And it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. But um, that's interesting that patchouli is used. Um, and that makes perfect sense because it is such a strong uh, scent. But the thing is, is that you can use it so that it's actually quite nice. And the same thing in cooking. Yeah. When you are cooking, you can use certain types of ingredients that buy when you use them alone. For example, just to make this very blunt, if you were to use something that for most people they couldn't handle it by itself, like a very hot pepper, pepper like a jalapeno pepper, it's really, really overwhelming. But, you know, in the gourmet world, um, if you add a little bit of jalapeno pepper to dark chocolate and then you, you have uh, a nice Cabernet with it, you know, now you're talking. Uh, the same thing with right. <laughs> you can add a little bit of jalapeno pepper to cheese and lo and behold, it's it's just wonderful, especially uh, with nachos or even if you want to make any type of exotic pizza. But um, in any event, um, I don't want to keep talking about it because we are running out of time. I just want you to, I just wanted to interject that. Um so, in regards to the perfume, um, any any advice to the newbie that's blending these for the first time so that they don't make any major mistakes? Um, yeah, basically start with your base note and really like it, and then blend upwards as you work your way that way. Um, that that helps. And then there's a couple essential oils that overtake um, a blend, and then they're really hard to get out of. So. 
Um, if you're if you're new, I recommend um, avoiding like clary sage in the in the early stages. Um, citronella, avoid that. Lemongrass, they're basically really overwhelming aromas that can take a you know take your scent and run with it, and then you're trying to get yourself out of it. Palm rosa can be difficult to get out of once you get started with it. Um, tea tree is listed as a you know as one of the notes, but I don't recommend starting out um, blending using tea tree or thyme or something that's a very medicinal aroma until you've gotten yourself really familiar with um, blending and just stick to things that you like the scent of them alone as you get started um, and then and then start blending from there and as you become more and more familiar like we have an annual tradition here. Um, where our research and development lab shuts down for several hours, and we all go into the lab and we make perfume together, and um, and it's basically started as a training um, for me to train my R and D people how to you know get their noses well developed and that sort of thing, and then we give those away during our advent calendar special. So we've already given several away, and I think um, yesterday we were giving more away. And, and it happens again during this Advent special. And so we go in there and we blend and, and experiment. And so this year I decided I am going to start out with things that I don't like. And I'm going to try and – but I've been blending for a long time. Um, and I'm going to try and make a pretty scent out of the things that I don't like. And those are going to be my main characters in this. And then I'm going to go from there. So I am not a fan of Palm Rosa. I, I can't stand the smell. So I started there. And I built the scent from there, and I ended up with a gorgeous scent, and it was something I never would have tried before. But it's not where I would start in blending essential oils. Start with what you like and what smells good to you and and blend from there. And as you become familiar, then start adding new things into your repertoire, you know. I, I don't think I used black pepper for the first few blends that I made because I wasn't familiar with it. It was unusual aroma. Um, uh, but it's a great perfuming blend. So, but it's something I introduced later. So just kind of take your time and and work your way through. And and in most cases, you can always work your way out of a out of a scent. So I always create a scent in drops, so um, that you don't end up with this gigantic batch of something as you're trying to work your way out of a of of a scent going the wrong direction. So. If I put in um, German chamomile and it takes over and, and now it's the main scent, I'm still in drops so I can go back and add more drops and make the batch bigger um, so that the German chamomile is now diluted into the product. So start small and um, and don't be afraid. You can work your way through almost anything just as long as you avoid clary sage, lemongrass, and citronella. Um, I think those were the main ones. Um, vetiver, thyme, tea tree. If you avoid those up front, you'll be okay. Well, thank you so much, Kayla. And Unfortunately, we are out of time. But thank you so much for tuning in. And if you've missed the show, you can always subscribe to The Organic View on iTunes or visit our podcast archives at www.theorganicview.com. Have a great day, everyone.